Hey folks, a bit of context for today's episode. Uh, this is a chat I had with Seb Stafford-Bloor about five weeks ago uh, when I saw that Tifo had announced their plans to release their own book. And I was quite intrigued by that because I have noticed how football podcasts are now making an effort to move offline, so as to speak, you know, uh, be it through live shows or books. Uh, for example, even the Totally Football Show has for the past two years released this yearly football handbook, which is a collection of writing uh, of the guests they have on the show. Um, so just to, you know, chat a little bit about this phenomenon of podcasts creating something tangible, uh, I reached out to Seb and he very kindly agreed to chat with me. So the initial idea was to write a feature piece, but then I realized that when the topic is podcasts, it makes sense that the medium is a podcast as well. Um, so I'm using the recording of our interview uh, for this episode. Uh, the TIFO book, How to Watch Football, releases today. Uh, I strongly suggest everyone go and buy it. Um, don't get the Kindle version because it is an illustrative book uh, with like the vibe, design, aesthetics, which define TIFO's YouTube channel. Uh, I've added a link to the book in the show notes. Uh, so check it out. Uh, anyways, that's enough out of me. And without further ado, I leave you in the cool hands and warm embrace of Seb Stafford Blair. Where did the idea for this book come from? Like, how did that idea come about? Uh, I think actually we were approached by Penguin um, in this instance. The approach that'll be a more of a question for Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, as far as I know, and this might not be entirely correct, but as far as I know, um, it was based on kind of our catalogue of, of uh, online work on the on the TV Illustrated channel, and someone believing that that would make a, a good book, a good topic for a book. When the book comes out, I think it will be apparent to people that it's not quite the same. Um, because, um, whereas I think we, we have a pretty good sense of who our audience is online on the YouTube channels. I think one of the things that we went through when we wrote the book was making sure that everything was as broad as possible. Um, and so even if you'd never watched a game of football before, you could still take something from the book, you pick it up and it, it didn't have a kind of, um, there were no barriers to entry, essentially mm. is what I'm trying to say. Uh, so I suppose, um, the answer there, I mean, where the idea came from and why we decided to do it are kind of different reasons. I suppose why we decided to do it is because it was an opportunity to do something for a different audience. Um, it's a slightly different skill. And also, well, because it, I suppose, I wouldn't call it vanity. But it's a really cool thing to be able to write a book. I've always wanted to. And I think Joe would say the same. And I think, um, I I can't wait for people to see the illustration in it, which is um, all of our design team have contributed to, but which has kind of been helmed by Alice. Uh, And she's amazingly talented. And and the book just looks fantastic. Like internally, it's it's, it's such a cool thing. And and so I think it's just a mix of reasons. there, There wasn't a, there wasn't a moment where we just thought, you know what we need to do? We need to do this. It wasn't like a definitive piece of strategy. Um, mm. it was a, we wanted to do it. We wanted to see if we could do it. And the more we learned about the process and what it would, uh, what it would provide us with, the more it made sense just because, um, 
yeah, different audience, different audience. And yeah. I, there's some things I can't quite talk about just yet because um, no, time and wise. But um, yeah, what's been revealed is that it's kind of like we've heard some of the stories about how people interact with TFO and how people would like to continue to, and you know, be it like you know people um, sharing it with their kids or whatever, whatever the case may be. And I, I think if you if you jumble all of those ideas and those um, motivations up, you come up eventually with a sort of a justification for us writing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you say different audiences, can you give yeah. me an example of like what your target audience is with this book and how it's different from your YouTube yeah. channel? So very broad answers could have come your way now, but I think the mentality is obviously like within the book, there are themes that we've covered before, but everything was rewritten and, and reframed to make sure that um, it was of interest to somebody who had watched every single TFO video ever made mm. and who might spend, um, you know, might spend their weekends going from Premier League to Bundesliga to Serie A to, to La Liga, um, who religiously um, lives through the football, mm. but also somebody who, you know, the kind of person who wouldn't necessarily come across our YouTube channel somebody who, for instance, wasn't particularly interested in football, but who carried an interest or um, a desire to become interested perhaps because of the World Cup. You know, there's that great kind of, you can never quite put a number on it, but there's that kind of community of people who will drop into a sport every four years. I think it's the same with the Olympics, the same with, I guess, the Rugby World Cup. You know, all these different Rugby yeah. World Cup is probably the same too, although yeah. a more technical game, so it's a little bit trickier, I guess. Yeah. But we wanted that audience as well in the sense that we wanted to make sure that if someone wanted to, they could have a, not quite guide, but a little companion that, um, you know, allow them to dip in and out. Something that was, um, something that served the individual, um, the kind of individual points of interest. So if you, if you want to know about the origins of the pitch markings, then you could find it in the book. Mm. Equally, if you wanted to know why certain teams play in a certain way, or you wanted to kind of, um, do your own analysis, like then you could find those tools in the book too. So um, a little bit of a tricky process because that, that's a bit of a balancing act to know where the kind of the ratio should be. But um, I think that's it. It's just the audience, and this is a little bit of a cop-out answer, for which I apologise, but mm. the audience is really um, anybody who might be interested in football or who is currently interested in football, making sure that there is something for everybody. Mm. Whereas I think if I... Yeah, sometimes we do things which are football adjacent. We might do a story about, we did a video a couple of months ago about where everybody's going to sleep during the World Cup. Mm, so that's yeah, kind of, that. that's not, that's not exactly yeah. right. So it's not, interest in that is not confined to people that just, you know, watch Man United games every week. Mm. Um, you know, Tottenham games or Chelsea games or Barcelona games. Um, and yet also we'll do things like, you know, we'll do quite footbally stuff, particularly on the IRL channel. For yeah. Instance, was, where the JJ and John yeah. do. That's very based on, you know, the kind of the, um, it's the kind of, cycle, it's the, catering uh, to football Twitter, right? In some way, like that's like what you would a little see, bit, like, yeah. in some ways. Yeah, exactly that. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's all of these things and, um, we didn't want anyone to be, to feel excluded. Mm. I think that's the best way to put it. We want mm. to make sure that everybody, everybody felt that there was something for them. Right. And was maybe a target with it like being an illustrative book, like is children a target for it as well? Like in particular, was that something yeah, you had in mind? Yeah, 100%. Like 100%, probably not too young, but like I would say anyone from ages eight upwards, um, 
you know, if you've got an inquisitive mind, you're more than welcome. Mm. Like it, you know, I've got some, it's not really related to the, to the book, but I've got some pretty strong opinions about like what the game needs to do to make sure that everybody from future generations feels involved. And, mm. and, you know, it, it would have been an act of hypocrisy had that not led into the book a little bit so that, you know, you make sure that if someone wants to find out about, you know, climate change's effect on football, for instance, then, you know, which is a demographically speaking, that is, um, that is, a on the kind of the hierarchy of concerns, it's higher for younger people than it would be for sort of people in their fifties and sixties. Mm. So, um, yeah, no, we, we, we definitely had children in mind and we definitely wanted to make sure that they felt included too. And, and whilst, you know, making the, making sure the book is illustrated, um, to a really high standard is important in that regard. It's important also to remember that the way the book is written, like, is accessible too. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, I suppose that's another area in which the book differs from my usual YouTube product. Um, right. That, um, right. You know, you, you gotta make sure that it's, yeah, I keep saying the same word, but accessibility is really, mm-hmm. really important. Mm-hmm. But, Seb, wouldn't it be if you're appealing to preteens, wouldn't it be easier <laughs> to set up maybe a YouTube channel just for them, right? Like, how many, what is the reach of books today? Um, is that something you thought about? Was that a question that came up when you were working on it? No, not really. Not really. I mean, I suppose because, because we were approached to do it mm. rather than we decided to do it. Um, we're working with Penguin and their perception of the market is, yeah, it's Penguin. Yeah. They know best, right? Yeah. So no, not really. Um, I think what we've, the, um, the children's version of our YouTube products, that is an idea that that's something which, um, it's a fair point. What I would say is that, like, there's quite a substantial overlap. Like, nothing we do on the channel, there are some things which are, are not for children. There are themes. And if you're dealing with, um, uh, migrant labor abuse, for instance, that is not really a, you know, suitable yeah. topic for children. But if you were to make, if you were to divide up our content into things which are potentially of interest to children, even if they're kind of, um, slightly above the kind of the preteen age. Mm. Never quite sure where they, where those lines are. Um, yeah. I mean, um, it's going to vary from child to child, of course. Um, I think very little of what we do is, um, is not suitable. Um, and so if we were to do a children's only product, I'm not quite sure what that would look like. Mm. Um, it's not to say that it's invalid. It's just that I personally and, you know, the guys that make decisions above me, um, not quite sure. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't have an honest answer to that really. Right. That makes sense. So I was talking to, um, Nick Miller, uh, who is the editor for the Totally Football Handbook and. Good man, Nick Miller. Yeah. 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 It was amazing. Um, so one thing he said with the book was it's a way to kind of just make the podcast more tangible, right? For the audience. Mm -hmm. It's another way to kind of build that greater sense of community. Um, what would you say about the TIFO community and how it's grown and how would a book impact in like helping to grow that out a little bit more? Well, I mean, I suppose two different questions. The first one is, it's quite interesting. Like, uh, TIFO's beginnings are quite humble. Mm. And it's become this thing where every now and again, probably transport in the street, you, you end up getting recognized because mm. And probably JJ and John most of all, because JJ and John do most of the tactical stuff and they're so they're most visible. Um, so, um, we are, uh, you know, as time goes on, we are getting to meet more and more people. And 
I one thing I say is it like if this is a reflection of the TFA community, these people are unfailingly polite mm. and very nice, and they're just kind of it's they're just like us. They just mm. like football, and they like the the kind of themes within it, and and they don't necessarily like the kind of the the big shouty aggressive stuff that they can find elsewhere. It's a slightly more like calmer place, mm. I hope. Mm. Um, and um, so that's one aspect of it. Um, I think the book. Be careful about what I say, uh, because I'm not quite sure. I, I feel like this is one of these things which reveals itself after publication. Mm. Um, I think. Uh, I think it allows, I, I, in my mind, um, and this is actually something demonstrated by, um, demonstrated by uh, that kind of recognition thing in, the, in kind of everyday life. There's still a little bit of division between what's successful online and what's successful mm. in the kind of the tangible sense that, that you're referring mm. to. Mm. And um, to me, and it's just my personal opinion, it's not necessarily reflective of what anybody else thinks. Like, to me, like it's, um, there's a, it feels like, you know, a success with a book feels like a, a real endorsement of something that you're doing, you know, in a kind of crossover way. Um, and I feel like it provides a, a you know, another la- level of authority, the layer of authority, hopefully. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, it's an endorsement, really, isn't it? And, yeah. Um, oh, I get that. I mean, I, I guess maybe check in with me in about six weeks' time and mm. see how I feel about that. Yeah. But I, that's certainly, that's, that's, there's something about being able to connect with people. And you know how the YouTube mechanism works, and you know mm. that obviously in people subscribe to stuff and people have their online habits. It feels like a level above to actually to actually um, create something that people would like to buy. And mm. part of that is online, yes, I know, but um, mm. it's something that people go into a bookshop and find and, yeah. and uh, find appealing. It, they're not governed by the kind of the automatisms that they are in, in quite the same way. Mm. And so I suppose that's where I make the, make the jump to kind yeah. of an extra layer of yeah. um, authority or recognition. Right. And how did that change the way you wrote it? How did that change your creative process? Was it the same? Were there differences there in how you approached that? Um, well, the book features um, not just my writing, but um, there's bits from John in there, there's bits from JJ, there's bits from Alex Stewart too. Um, I suppose they'd all say... Um, well, I'll speak for me. I <laughs> it was difficult because obviously we went through quite an, uh, an extensive edit mm. process, and we had people reading it from Penguin's side, who of course, um, uh, you know, knew less about football than others, and, and quite deliberately so, so that you have a you know a, that perspective. And I think um, the best way of putting it is actually that I, I had to kind of I had to forget what I knew. Mm. Like, it's interesting, like, um, it's interesting how many kind of weird footballisms you internalize. So if me and you were just talking about last night's Champions League game and I was referring to one twos and pressing, mm. like, we all know what we're talking about. It's very hard to kind of deprogram yourself to forget all of that stuff mm. and all that received knowledge because that's really the basis from which you write is from, is you take yourself out of the bubble of a, yeah, a football audience. Yeah. And that's quite hard to do. It took me a while. I, I, I struggled with it, actually. I find it quite difficult. Um, and the guys would probably say the same about the bits that they did. Um, mm, yeah. But hopefully we got there. But it's, it's, it's also, it was completely new to me because no matter where I've written, um, or where I've done work, it's been a football environment. Mm. Whether that's the aesthetic or before that, 
best of four four two and football three six five. But even when I was fortunate enough to do a little bit of newspapers, it was in the sports section. Mm. <laughs> so, mm. so I've never really had the kind of the task of yeah. appealing to people who aren't actually that interested in football. So, yeah, 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 um, yeah. So you went like the comfort of the environment was there at least when you were working on this. Definitely, definitely, right. yeah. Um, and the choice for the name of the book, uh, was this kind of a reference? Because I know Ruth Gullit's book is called the same thing. So was that mm-hmm. intentional or was, what was the thinking? Nah. Nah? Just, just yeah. coincidence. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, um, I, I, I don't see many similarities between the two, really. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the title works meaning to, I think, um, it's harder to explain until you've seen the book. No, um, fair, I guess. But obviously, I think, I think when it comes out, people will recognize yeah. it as, you know, And I think the title yeah. ties into what you were saying about accessibility, right? I think, I think that's a, it's a very open title, right? Like, which could appeal to. I hope so. Yeah, no, I, I felt that definitely. Um, that it is something, even like hardcore fans, you want to learn something new. And for people just getting into the sport, like it's the perfect how to book. Um, so I think, I think that really does make sense. And, you know, um, what do you think about the role football podcasts, YouTube channels, like increasingly, like I'm speaking from personal experience and with friends, colleagues, it's become a part, like you watch the game and then you listen to the podcast, right? Like it's become a routine, right? It's, I'm an Arsenal fan, so I will probably listen to T4, listen to the Totally Football Show, and then I'll listen to the Ask Blog podcast, like... And yeah. people have that with their team. So I think I find it interesting how podcasts have become such a central part about how we consume football today, right? And mm-hmm. um, if you're not listening to one, then you have your own, right? Like it's it's something like that. So I want to understand how you, what you make of how football content has grown in the last few years and how it has impacted fan behavior in some way. I reckon the first thing to note is kind of like, is how that kind of football adjacent industry mm. bends itself around people's routines. Like, <clears throat> that's really true with most podcasts. Like, you, if you think about where and when you listen to your podcast, I'm guessing, like, much like me, during a commute, yeah. public transport, walking, you know, like, I, I live in Hamburg. So, um, and I live out in the suburbs where there's lots of kind of green spaces. And when I do my walking, Generally speaking, I've got a podcast on. Yeah. Um, and so football, I mean, it would change kind of company to company, podcast to podcast, but football's kind of flowed into that space. Right. Mm. Um, and I also think kind of podcasts have diversified being football tremendously over the past couple of years. So previously, you used to have like, I don't know, you used to have the kind of the random pod where it was like, you get people on, they spend two and a half minutes talking about a game and they move on. And and for a lot of people, that's what they want. And that's absolutely fine because you want to hear somebody else's perspective on your team. Um, and then you have the kind of the, the more analytical one, which, um, you know, he, he's, you know, John McKenzie's obviously joined us recently, but John's like tactical work prior to, to, to moving to FIFA is tremendous, amazing. But then that appeals to a very different type of person mm. to you know, the one that just wants a 90-second monologue about, you know, the Manchester derby or the North London derby. Um, and it was very interesting because we did a, like, we, we did a podcast on Monday about both derbies. And a lot of people didn't like the stuff that JJ said about the North London derby. Yeah. And it's kind of like, but then this is really interesting is because what this represents is that, like, some people want 
something which is entirely focused on their side and wants everything that's discussed to be viewed through their lens. And I, 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 I get that, especially after a derby. I, I don't understand that. But then you also have the opportunity now to step out of your, like you, you mentioned that you listened to Andy Mangan's Oscar podcast with, with Tim Stillman. And like after a derby, that's a perfect place. Yeah. It's like, it's a, it's yeah. a haven. Well, we want to hear about everything that's good. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, right. But then as a, as a podcast listener, I think it's your obligation to shop around for what you want in certain situations, mm. depending on your mood or your situation or, or hey, how much time you have. Like, cause if I've got half an hour, like if I, if I'm listening to a 20 part true crime podcast, mm. I want unbroken periods of time in my day. I don't want to do 10 minutes and yeah. stop and 10 minutes yeah. and stop. Yeah. Whereas for a football podcast, I think you can do that for some of them. Mm. Um, where it's changed. See, it's hard to judge how it's changed behaviors because I, I think a lot of this is conflated with how social media has changed online behaviors, how, um, fan channels, like, um, have changed. I mean, you can go back to sort of like forum days where, um, you know, again, much like the kind of club based podcast, uh, everything was, everything was taken from a particular perspective. Mm. I think there's great diversity. I think there's, there's, um, I think the podcast community has done a really good job of diversifying to the point where everybody has somewhere to be. I think mm. that's really important. Mm. What a specific um, <clears throat> impact is, I don't know. I feel like sometimes there's a little less tolerance. Like if you, if you don't hear someone's viewpoint, if you hear a viewpoint you don't entirely agree with, I feel like there's a, uh, I'm not sure quite what the word is, but there's a real lack of tolerance sometimes. Um, for that, but then I don't think that's a podcast thing. I think that's an online modern life yeah. thing, actually. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, um, it might even be a kind of post pandemic thing because mm. we've all been kind of, um, you know, uh, sealed away in our own silos, unfortunately, for a really long time. And then that includes, you know, social life too. Um, so it's, it's difficult, but I, I feel like it's a really rich field. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah. Our experience, I guess, is that we try and do a bit of everything. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like the people that are on the podcast, um, it's all authentic. These are, you know, the people that you're know, what you see on, on screen is generally who we are to a certain extent, I think. Um, and I think there's something for everybody in that too, mm-hmm. in the sense of like, you might just, you might be, uh, you, you might be the game that John does or JJ does. You know, and even between those two, there's a, there's a bit of a difference, mm. I would say. Mm. You might be someone a bit more like me or a bit more like Joe. Like, you know, I think it's, I think it's important to be that way because not everybody watches the game in the same way. No, um, I, I agree. And I think it also ties in with the popularity, right? Like what you were saying about being spotted on the street. I think as podcasts and YouTube channels have grown, like the creators behind them, like, like, I can't remember there was a time when journalists and creators in sport were this well known, right? Like in some way, like I, like when I used to be in Mumbai, for instance, my friends and I would be discussing TIFO videos, right? And we would know all of you people. So, and that just got me thinking about how everyone knows the names, right? It's not just the players and the managers, it's who's behind it, right? Like if a transfer story breaks, like if we're moving past podcast specifically, you're like, or was it David Onstein who did it? Or was it Fabrizio? Like, I think yeah, yeah. the profiles has also like gone up quite a bit too. 
I definitely agree with that. I think it's kind of, um, I think it's a little bit about kind of ownership of media. Because mm. you mentioned like transfer reporting. Now, um, I think, yes, you'll remember who broke what, but I think you, you associate different styles with, um, with those people too. So for instance, um, I'm biased, but this is generally what I think. I think David Ornstein's a fabulous journalist. I think mm. he's absolutely first rate. And I know if David Ornstein is saying something, it's true. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Because I know how he works. I know how meticulous he is. And I know how proud he is of his, of his kind of veracity. Um, and I, I, I kind of, I think that's part of it too. So what you, what you're describing really is the kind of, um, the reporter or the, 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 the content creator becoming quite three dimensional because whether it be through video or social media, you have a kind of glimpse into their personality too. Whereas previously in a different generation, it was just a byline somewhere. It's just mm, a name. Mm. Like, you know, David Ornstein would be the name on the website yeah. or the newspaper yeah. and that would be it. Now you, you know what he looks like, you know how he speaks, you know, and you get glimpses into not just his personality, but I guess, um, how he works and, you know, um, you know, how detail orientated he is. Mm. And mm. I think that's part of it because that makes it a bit more memorable, I think, probably. Yeah. So for instance, like I, when I was younger, I, I, um, I'm 38 now. Uh, I found out that I'm a Tottenham fan. I found out that Teddy Sheringham was leaving Tottenham to go to Manchester United on CFAX. Um, and it, it was a very important day because I was young and Teddy Sheringham was back yeah. then. Yeah. <laughs> Without Teddy Sheringham, it wasn't much Tottenham, yeah. I'm afraid. Yeah. Um, right. And, um, I remember, I remember exactly what that headline said. And I remember looking at it on, it was a, a TV we had in our school classroom. And I just checked the, I used to pro at home. I just put it on, check the, the CFAX, see if there's any transfer news. Today, just to mark how different everything is. Today, like, you, I wouldn't know a headline at all. There would be no headline. It would mm. just be information and then different styles of presenting that information mm. and different people. And, and, you know, like I remember, for instance, you know, when Messi went to Paris Saint Germain, like, uh, for Bertie Romano did his graphics and stuff. And, or I remember, uh, there's almost too many examples to mention. Yeah. Um, it's or I remember, you know, David Ornstein's work when Gareth Bale was coming back to Tottenham, mm. you know, these things. And, um, it's very interesting. Like I, I almost think actually that, that you don't really notice these things because they're so incremental over time and you become so used to it. But it's only when you step back and look at kind of how different everything used to be that, um, that you notice these trends. But you're quite right. Like it's, it's become the creator is, is kind of saleable too, mm. I suppose. Yeah. I, I think it's just what we've seen about the creator economy just growing across the board. And I think we've seen yeah. those effects in football to a, very large extent now as well too, right? I think in, you can, if you have, you can set up your own newsletter, like for example, like Grace, Grace Robertson's newsletter, right? Like. Hey, her newsletter is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I've been subscribing a long time. Like, yeah. Well, so think, think, think about this, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a very good example you join is think about like the process in doing that. All it is, is meritocracy. Like, is this good? Yes. People want it. And that's it. Like, yeah. You know, it's a reward for good work. And, yeah. um, yeah, she deserves all her success. She's been, um, I, I remember following her on Twitter before a newsletter came out. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, and previously, you know, you'd have a problem where, like, the individual, okay, do they get the, 
do they get the platform? You know, does their talent get seen by somebody? Do they get the right series of, of, um, opportunities somewhere? And like, if the answer to any of those questions is no, then you and I never know just how good she is or what she does because we don't mm. get to see the news that. And so this is kind of the, 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 mm. the beauty of creation, isn't it? It's so important. Like it is, I, it is. I come from like, um, it's not a, a similar background, but I, I started, I'm only here now because I, I was doing a, a job I didn't really like. <laughs> I, I just did some blogging as a, um, as a, as a bit of a pastime, as a hobby. Mm. And it sort of, by complete accident, people read it and that, that was fantastic. But would I have ever in that situation said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to retrain. I'm going to go and work for my local newspaper. I'm going to do this and I'm going to hope for the best. And I, I, I wouldn't have had a chance because mm. like, um, you don't have the opportunity just to express yourself. And, um, I mean, I, there was still a huge amount of luck in my case. Um, I was in the right place at the right time, more than times than I care to mention, but I guess remember even, but, um, just get the opportunity to do stuff is very, very important in the first instance, I think. I, I completely agree. And lastly, so do you think that's made it easier for new creators now to kind of get their foot in the industry or is it harder because everyone's doing it now? Yeah, it's a really important thing. Like I, I think it's a bit of both. I think uh, if you're talking about is it easier for a writer to have a blog and to go from the blog to somebody else's website to a newspaper, I think that's still a really difficult route. Like I, I think the era of bedroom blogging is probably over just because I think it is. I, I, I just, um, it reached a kind of saturation point, I think. Um, but in terms of designing a career to express yourself, whether that be on YouTube or on TikTok or wherever, like I think now it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to do it. I think it's a lot harder to be, ultimately successful just because there's so many alternatives. And I, I think from a, from a consumer's perspective, that's a great positive mm. because you have all the choice in the world and you're free to go and find whatever you want. But um, from the creator's perspective, very, very tricky. Like I, I think there are advantages. Like I, if um, I, I kind of wanted to, as, as my um, kind of second career, second life, sort of began to kind of take some odd shape, like I, I benefited enormously from being able to read other people's work so much. Like, um, you know, having, having Jonathan Lewis writing or Roy Smith writing freely available is a tremendous privilege. Mm. Um, mm. uh, and, and people don't realize just how much it is. Like what I mean, like I can pick up an article most days and, um, learn from people like that. It's crazy. Henry Winter, you know, like, okay. So I know over time, some of these people have, have, have disappeared behind paywalls, but, um, you have, I suppose, the benefits of a, of an education there that you wouldn't have if, if the kind of the internet wasn't so yeah. competitive. Yeah. Um, I learn things all the time from all kinds of people. Like you don't, you don't just learn from people who are writing for the times or the athletic or your times. Like, you know, sometimes I, I'm not a very, for instance, I'm not a particularly analytics, uh, you know, my, a lot of what I think about the game, um, I, I, I've never wanted to be an analyst. Mm. I don't, I don't mm. it's just not me, right? I'm not, I'm not John McKenzie or, or JJ Bull. Um, however, I would be lying if I didn't say that I, I hadn't learned a huge amount about how to check what I think from, you know, data viz. Um, and these are people that, you know, you, you might just be on Twitter one day and, and find things that, you know, somebody's put out there. And it's a, 
I think that's what's made life a little bit easier. Like it, it's become much easier to hone your, your, your craft and develop your skills. What you do with it is a different issue and how successful mm. you are is a different issue once more. But, mm. um, it's a, it's, it's very complicated. It's a very, very good question and it doesn't really have one answer. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, it's also, it's also worth noting that it's changing all the time. I think, Great. um, yes. so I've been in the industry roughly since August. I'd say probably 2010 World Cup is when I kind of thought, ah, this, this might work out for me. And the differences between now and then are immeasurable, mm. amazingly different. Um, mm. and yeah, so it's, it's kind of an answer which needs to be updated every six months. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, it's everything changes yeah. every six months. For sure. Of course. Of course. Yeah. 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 Perfect, Seb, thank you so much. This was inc- oh, my pleasure. incredibly insightful. 